Well, we continue in our series in Romans, and and you remember way back in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said this, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, right, to bring this salvation to the world. I mean, that was the thrust of the book of Romans, that there is this good news out there and it's moved by grace. And grace is this this gift of God. It sets Christianity apart. If you've ever been asked a question, what's the difference with whatever religion you want to follow? Well, the number one answer to that is grace. No religion in the world has grace at its core. That is that you can't earn favor with God. You don't deserve it. There's no way that God should be reaching down to us. He just does it out of this love. And this move is called grace. So Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. And we can't be ashamed either. And of course, we've been pushing through a number of chapters. We went all the way through chapter 11. Then we hit chapter 12. And Paul turns the corner and he starts answering some very fundamental questions. If everything that's true in chapters 1 through 11 How should we live today? How is it that God wants us to live? And so we're going to continue to try to answer that question, except today it's in chapter 13, and he's got some powerful things. But i got a question for you before we even open the Word. It says in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. It says, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Now, you and I know that the word near is a proximity question. If I say I'm near someone, usually we mean it's somebody that's physically close. But we know that God doesn't have a body, so He's not talking about being physically close. He's talking about being relationally close. And we'll use that expression once in a while. Someone that is near me is someone that I'm close to. So here's the question before we go into the Word. Do you want God to speak to you? Do you want to hear from God? Well, it says, if you draw near to Him, if you say, I'm ready, I'm listening, I'm open, I need it, I want it, He says, He'll draw near to you. So what does all that mean for us today? God has something for those who want to draw near. He has something for you if you want to draw near. Now, we sometimes say when we pray, you know, turn your palms up. Why do we do that? Because our bodies matter. It's an expression of saying, I'm surrendering, I'm listening. So as I pray, if you want to hear from God, you don't have to turn your palms up, but let me encourage you. Let me just encourage you. Just turn your palms up and say, God, speak to me. So let's pray. Father, you're a good God. And we know there's hard things in this world. Difficult things. Impossible things to understand. That doesn't change your goodness. It doesn't change your wisdom. And it doesn't change your power. You're infinitely good. You're infinitely powerful. And your wisdom is beyond exploration. So God, we come this morning wanting to hear from you. 
We've heard from a lot of people all week long, lots of opinions, lots of ideas, lots of news reports, but no one speaks for you but you. Help us to hear what you have to say this morning in your word. And I'll just personalize it. Just say, God, I need to hear from you this morning. Just quietly in your heart. Touch my heart, God. Speak to me. I'm drawing near, and you promise to draw near to me. Amen. Amen. Let's open up our Bible. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand as we read God's Word? We're just going to read the first seven verses To begin with here, he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, Pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You may grab your seat. Well, as we looked at last time, in order to understand where this fits in, I gave you a picture of this old way of living and this new way of living, right? So it's a little bit of what I was bringing in. This old way of living is this old life that we had before Christ. It was a life that was filled with self-centeredness and selfishness. It was driven by pride. It's going by ego. It's about power. It's about fame. It's about the notoriety that we can get in this world. It's about upping one another. And and that's the old way, but notice there's a cross there. And it, it drives a wedge between these two ways of living because the other way of living is this new way that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural life. I mean, this is so impossible to fully comprehend, but the life of God dwells in the soul of a human being that has trusted Jesus Christ. Think about that. The very life of God is in the soul of the woman or the man who has put their hope in the gospel, this grace gift of God. That begins to change the affections of their heart so that they can live differently. That's why the Apostle Paul took 11 chapters to talk about all the ways that God is moving in the church with those people that have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so what we begin to see then in chapters 12 and 13, and we'll see it going forward, is that there is a way 
to live. There's a wise way to live. Wisdom for this new way. Now, there's another way to capture the old way of living and the new way of living. Now, we won't turn there in our Bibles, but let me just describe this. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said, the ways of the old way or the ways of the flesh are evident. He says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Listen to what he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. See, all of that is in this black circle of the way we used to live. Now, certainly all of us didn't participate in all those things, but that was characteristic of the way we lived. And if you're an honest woman and an honest man, you'll say yes. That was the mark on my soul. But then he goes on and says, but the life in the Spirit, and you do know, this is the age of the Spirit. This right now is the age of the Spirit. When Jesus left this earth, what did he say? He said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send another comforter. Jesus was the first comforter. He says, I'm going to send another comforter, and that's the Spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that are characterizing the people in this new way of living. So, as we think about it, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, I urge you... Now, i got to say, just give me a second here. A little parentheses. We like this phrase today in this modern time to use the phrase Christ followers now that's a good phrase it's a descriptive phrase but it's an abstract phrase now why do I say that because the Apostle Paul says I urge you brothers and sisters doesn't that feel a lot different? He, he's talking not just to abstract Christ followers, he's talking to family members. And you are a brother and a sister to the people around you. And that's going to be significant in just a moment. Think about that. You are a brother or a sister. That is the way you get addressed. End of parentheses. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your body, to surrender. He says to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, right? Pleasing to God, right? And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't go into this old way of living, but be transformed, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, renewing of your mind. So as we look at this, there's three areas that... I want to focus on this morning. Here's the first one. Living in our new realm, Christians should be subject to governing authorities. Now, that is a mouthful, but that's what we just read in Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Now, I know you're a thinking person, so all kinds of questions start coming to the surface, right? Are we talking all governments? Now, if you vote Democrat, you're thinking, you mean Republicans? If you vote Republican, you mean Democrats, right? I mean, like, we want to get off the hook of the dilemma 
when we look at these different things. But Paul says that we should be subject to our governing authorities. Now, let me just give you why God is saying this. God is all about order. Order. He's not a God of confusion. He doesn't want to see conflict. So one of the ways I like to talk about this is there's three institutions. And God speaks very clearly about these institutions. The first institution is the family. God has ordained the family. He has defined it. He has described it. He has not left this to culture to make it up however they want to go. He has created this institution of the family. Now, we're not talking about the family this morning, but you need to see that he wanted order in the family. The second institution is the church, right? He brings order to the church, and he decides the order and structure of the church. We don't get to do it. We don't get to decide the mission of the church. We don't get to do all kinds of things. Now, he gives us a lot of freedom in the church, but we need to see that he has established the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church. I'm going to build it the way I want it, and it's going to go the way I want it to go. But the one that we see also in there, the third institution, is the government. And God is telling us that he has established it. Now, I don't want you to just hear me say it. It's always important that we see it grounded in the word. So, Romans chapter 13 it says, verse 1, let everyone be subject to governing authorities because, or for, there is no authority except that which God has established. God is the one that has established it. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, when Paul wrote this, you need to know he understood corrupt governments. The Roman Empire had lots of corruption. The emperor at the time when Paul wrote this was Nero. Nero is well known for murdering his own mother. And if someone's going to murder their own mother, it just shows you some of the heart attitude. And of course, we know some of the despicable things, the hostility, the oppression that they brought, the aggression that they brought, the things that they did that were immoral. Now, the letter is written to the church where? At Rome. Where was the palace? In Rome. It would be a little bit like living across the street from the White House. And you're kind of like, well, I know what's going on over there. I know what those people do, right? Well, that's a little bit of what's going on here in the letter as Paul's writing. Well, after he said all these things about the gospel and that it's going to grow and, and tied to this kingdom that is advancing, right? We begin to see that now God's got to give us instruction. Let's be really clear that we should not be overthrowing the government. We should not be trying to uh, resist. Well, what's he say? Submission, right? There, there's this attitude that God is calling us to that we be subject to our governing authorities. Now, you know our history. Thomas Jefferson was a deist at best, right? Uh, Ben Franklin, another one of our founders, was a deist. He got to hear, could I tell you this 
George Whitfield preach. I mean, one of the greatest revivalist preachers in the history of our country, George Whitfield, and Ben Franklin hears the message of the gospel because Whitfield only preached one. You know what his message was over and over? You must be born again, right? So Ben Franklin's hearing him preach. You must be born again. Ben Franklin resists it. Now, why am I talking about Franklin and uh, Thomas? Because these people resisted and rejected Romans 13. They said governments are established by people in direct defiance to the Word of God. Now, all this said, I love our country. I love our country. Did you hear me? Let this be on record. I hope this is being recorded. I love our country. I just don't like the way our country got here. Anything that rejects the Word of God, we ought to be in a little bit of reservation. But enough. Paul goes on and says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Think about that. As we rebel or resist, right? Now, we have a lot of freedom in the uh, Republican democracy that we have, right? This, this democratic republic allows us to do all kinds of protesting, all kinds of ways to do that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing that. What I'm saying is that we can't be rebelling ultimately against the government because that's what God says. He says, against what God has instituted. So the rebellion is ultimately against God. And those who do so will bring judgment. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. In other words, as we follow what God is saying in Romans 12, Romans 13, we'll see it in 14, we'll see it in 15. As we live this out, we're free then in Christ. Do you want to be free from fear and the one in authority? And of course we do. Then do what is right and you'll be commended. So Paul lays it out just very, very carefully. So there's no authority except that which God has established. Daniel said the same thing in chapter 2, verse 21. He said, God removes kings and God sets up kings. Why are the governments there? They're there for our good. Verse 4, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. They bring order to the world. Now, we could get far into the weeds by looking at some of the corrupt rulers that we all know about. And there are a lot of them. And I'm not saying that it's easy to answer all the questions. When is it appropriate? When do we do these kinds of things? How do we go about it, right? We need to think deeply about this, but we need to, first of all, understand the structures from which God is speaking. So, should it have been right, as many people, Christians, tried to assassinate someone like Hitler, right? It raises those kinds of questions because there does come to be a time when we have to resist this massive amount of evil. But we need to be very, very careful in how we go about it and when we go about it. So there, it's for our good. They're the ones that provide the roads. They're the ones that provide some of the services in our country to help people, to come alongside people, right? So that's, that's what Paul is saying. But if you do wrong, you ought to be afraid, right? They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, 
but also as a matter of conscience. He drives it very deeply. Now, conscience is not will. The will decides. What does the conscience do? It dictates. The conscience dictates. We use a phrase like that because it's the conscience that decides what's right and wrong. And what's happening in our country today is our conscience, our sense of morality, our compass of what is right and wrong is being eroded. And Christians are being swept right along with it. So Paul is saying even this issue of submission to a government authority is a matter of conscience. It's a matter of right and wrong. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give full time to their governing. Somebody has to pay for this. So there's these taxes that we bear, right? In verse 7, give everyone what you owe. <clears throat> if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue, right? So he goes on and he says, well, follow the building codes. Buy your fishing license. Keep your grass cut if that's what your community requires, right? Why is it all there? It's so that we can live in an orderly way and not resist it as we recognize. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2 goes along some of the same kinds of things. Listen to what Peter writes. He writes, dear friends, right? Now here he uses a term of endearment. He doesn't use brothers and sisters. He, he, he says, hey, loved ones. That's really the Greek language behind this. He says, hey, loved ones, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. You see what he's trying to do is set us up. This is not our home. This is not our home. We are foreigners. We are exiles. If you're a born-again believer, if you've put your trust in Christ, then you've been born again, and this is not your home. You have a new citizenship, and it's in heaven, right? Submit yourselves, Peter writes, for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Peter's writing the same thing. Now, he's writing a little bit later than the book of Romans, but he's writing under Nero, and you, both know, you all know that both Peter and Paul were crucified, right, by the Roman authorities. So when they're saying submit, they're willing to go all the way. Whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Skipping a little bit. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. So let me just try to net this out a little bit. We submit to government's authority because it's ordained by God and the government serves important roles in the welfare of people. So we need to follow this by the grace of God. But now Paul takes us in a new direction. Now, when the pastor moves a stool front and center, <laughs> it means he wants to say something to the church family. But before I say it, Let's just read what God is saying. Verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, 
are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. So let me just say it this way. Christians carry the responsibility to love others. That's my second point, right? As we think about this whole area, living in our new realm, Christians carry the responsibility to love others. That's what Paul just wrote in those few verses. It's pretty simple. But it's very hard, isn't it? It's hard in this world. Sometimes it's hard to love someone in my own family. Very hard. Sometimes I've been double-dared to love someone, right? It's that hard. But let's look a little bit where he goes. He says in verse 9, the commandments shall not commit adultery. Well, we all know that's the seventh commandment. But what did Jesus do with that commandment? He turned it and said, let's dive deep into what he's talking about in Exodus chapter 20. And Jesus said, you know, if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. See where Jesus goes. He wants us to explore the heart. So these people that are playing around with pornography and acting like it's not a big deal, or hey, at least I'm not committing adultery. Like, they're just betraying their own ignorance. But the lust doesn't just go there. Men may uh, struggle more visually, but women move in entirely different directions often with romance novels, and they get sucked into the story, and the lusting starts coming in. And what happens? Just like with the man that's in porn, his wife doesn't measure up. For the woman that's reading these romance novels, what happens? Her husband's not measuring up. Jesus is just going there because it breaks love. Verse, uh, the next one, you shall not uh, murder. That's the sixth commandment. And what did Jesus say there? He said, if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. See where where Jesus again just drives it. Then it goes on, you shall not steal. Right? The eighth commandment. And you shall not covet the tenth commandment. The Tenth Commandment, out of all the Ten Commandments, it's that last one where where the Bible takes the Ten Commandments and drives it deep into the soul of every woman and every man. Because coveting is what? It's internal. It's not external. It's internal. And so that starts to apply to all the commandments. So now that we're starting to get the feel of where this is going, he says, everything is summed up. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. So my question, and why I wanted to sit on the stool for a moment, why are so many Christians so mean? Not that anyone in this church would be that way. I know that. (laughs) But why are Christians 
some Christians, certainly not all. Why are some Christians so mean? I want to give you a couple of my thoughts. The first one is this. They've got their agenda, and it's not God's agenda. There's something that they're after, and it's not what God's after. So even Peter, remember, he said, Lord, I'll protect you, I'll die for you. And he pulls out this little dagger and slices off Malchus's ear, and, and God says, you know, put it away. You're not about my interest. Right? right? You can't have it both ways. You're either going to live for the kingdom or you're going to live for this world. But you can't do both, Jesus said. You can't serve both. And he makes it really clear, we are to love our neighbors. So last time we saw, as we looked at these different passages about how we are to love, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So before you hit the send button, just ask yourself, is this a loving response? Is this kind? How will it be heard? How will it be received? What am I saying? What am I even trying to do by doing all this? That's the first. Whose agenda are you trying to advance? But here's a second. Not everybody's getting it right. Are you following the people that are following the Word. Not everybody's interested in the Word of God, and that's why I use the illustration of Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. Governments are established by people? Not if you read Romans 13. Not if you read Daniel chapter 2. And then all of a sudden, God's reordering and reframing the way we should live. And we should live in a very different way, loving our neighbors. So they're letting people set the agenda that should not be. And then here's the last thought I had. We don't want to follow God's order. So we're going to reorder things our way. And we can't do that. That's why I start with these institutions. God doesn't say about everything. He doesn't deal with a lot about business principles and how to run a business. Certainly there's lots of good biblical principles, but he established three institutions. And he says, this is how I want them ordered. And so here we see again that we need to keep the ordering the same. So, just ask yourself, how are you doing in loving your neighbor? Even the one, now I know in a communications age that we live in, when we live with the day of the internet, we say and do things we would never say and do if we were sitting next to them. So just ask yourself where you are on the spectrum of these things. Because God has something special for you if you'll follow Him. You'll experience things you never thought possible if you will follow Him. It makes us think how we talk about these things. So let me just close with a final comment. 
regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, for whatever reasons you stand there, we need to be really guarded in how we do business, how we talk about people. Because God has something to say about all of this. So now, let's just wrap up with some of the most encouraging words Paul brings in Romans 13, verse 11. Just follow along as I read, and do this. Well, do what? I think he's talking about everything from chapter 12 all the way, all the way to where we are now. He's saying, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now, than, nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So let me just give our third point. As we look at this new realm, Christians should know the time. You've got to know what time it is. You've got to know what time it is and embrace Christ in this hour. We need to embrace Him. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. That's what we need to embrace as we embrace Jesus Christ. So let me just make a few comments as we look at this. Understanding the present time, we need to see that we are not yet to heaven. We are in the age of the Spirit. God is doing His work. The kingdom of God is drawing and making bigger than you could ever imagine. More people are coming to Christ every day because of what His Spirit is doing. Understand what God's agenda is. So when we say our mission is showing and telling the story of Jesus Christ. You know why that's our mission? Because it's God's mission. We want to be about what God's going to do. Because in the end, all this is going to pass away. All of it's going to disappear. All of it will be dissolved. It'll burn, Peter says. He says it's going to burn and then God's going to refashion it. So we need to understand the time in which we live. The hour has already come. Wake up! Don't fall asleep. This is not a time to slumber. Remember Jesus told a parable. He told a parable about an owner and he, and he sends, he goes away and the servants are there. And what should the servants do? Jesus says, stay awake. You don't know when the owner's going to return. Well, what's his point? You and I don't know when Jesus is going to return. But when He returns, I want to be found doing the right things. <laughs> I want to be found doing what He calls us to do, right? That, that's what He's saying. Wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer. Now that's interesting because so often we think of salvation in the past tense. We are saved. But the Bible uses three expressions. We are saved, past tense. We are being saved, present tense, and here we will be saved in the future. Now what does that all mean? It means there is a time you can point to when you say, I put my trust in Christ. For me, it was spring of 1976. There was an anchor driven down into the bottom that has held my ship 
firm all of these years. So I can say I was delivered from darkness. I was moved out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. There was a day in time. I may not know the exact day, but I know the season I can look back to. That's when the Spirit came in and regenerated my heart. Up until then, I didn't love God and the things of God the way God talks about it. I didn't love the Bible. God changed me and transformed me. And that's what He wants to do for you. Now when we say being saved, I am not the same person I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. By God's grace, you are not either, that He's constantly changing us and transforming us so that we can say the hold of this world is being ripped away so that we could say the chains are being broken so that Paul could be writing, do not be conformed to this world because we're being transformed because you're here this morning. Because you made the decision. Can I just say the wise decision, the good decision to show up, to hear the Word of God, to worship with God's people, that is good. Now some of us were like, man, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. But you're here. And that is good. And that's why I say, let God speak. Let Him remind you how much you're loved. How much He adores you. How much He cares for you. How much He's doing for you. How much He will do for you for all eternity. Wake up, He's saying. Our salvation is near. And then the future, we will be saved. There's coming a time when we will all be perfectly transformed into a sinless person. Can you imagine? I can't even comprehend that. That I wouldn't have lustful thoughts. That I wouldn't have jealous thoughts. That I wouldn't be envious. All of that's going to be gone. All of it. Fully and finally. And of course, the last enemy, death itself, will be destroyed. So we can say we will be saved. Then he goes on in verse 12, the night is nearly over. Are you listening? Are you listening? The night is nearly over. Do you know what he's telling us? Jesus could return imminently, any time. The night is nearly over. What are we doing with our lives? How are we spending our money? What are we investing our gifts in? Paul is just laying it all on the line and saying the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness. And he lists them just like he does in Galatians, right? And then he tells us behave decently. Could we just say civilly? kindly, not being mean, as in the daytime. And then he says, verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by embrace. I mean just, just live in a posture of full surrender and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. I want your life lived out in me. The life of God in the soul of every woman and every man that has trusted Jesus Christ. Just surrender to Him. That's what it is to embrace Him. It's to say, Jesus, I love You more than the things of this world. I love Your kingdom more than the United States. I love Your kingdom and what You're doing more than anything else in all the world. That's what it means to clothe yourselves in Jesus Christ. Father, it's amazing what You've written. These aren't merely the words of Paul. These these are, are your words spoken to us so that we can recognize that the battle has already been won. The victory is ours. Our salvation is clear. We were saved. We're being saved. And we will be saved because it's already ours. And God, I guess it's just the way you say, I've got it. 
And so God, for every woman here, every man here, let them walk out with the burdens at the cross knowing that you got it. The battle has been won. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.